0: This is the FSF Podcast Crossover Connection bonus episode. Hello and welcome to the FSF Podcast. Each and every Wednesday we're hoping to bring to you a crossover connection like the one you're listening to today. We want to bring to you other podcasts that either we have worked closely with or that we enjoy, and in turn we're hoping that you will enjoy as well. This week we bring to you the Blokebusters podcast. Please give them a listen, and then at the end of the episode go find them on their channels and subscribe to them and listen to them there as well thank you very much and enjoy the episode
1: All open.
0: tonight's story is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't heard
0: nothing yet. And uh, this is? Lilou Dallas Multipass. Frankly, my
1: dear, I don't give a damn. Houston, we have a problem. Have you tried turning it off and on again?
0: Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room. Now, where was I? Welcome to episode 134 of the Blockbusters podcast. I'm Paul, as usual, and today I am rejoined by the creator, writer, director and producer because my goodness she does a lot of stuff of it makes a sound fantastic podcast and a previous guest of Blokebusters when she came on the Film Spotlight uh, quite some time ago it is Jacqueline Langraut how are you doing
1: hi hi paul <laughs> i'm good i'm okay how are you doing I'm doing all right. As good as can it's be. It's been I a guess. pandemic. <laughs> yes. It's been a pandemic since we've last spoken. Yes,
0: and obviously still technically going, uh, despite still going. how a lot of people still going. tend to see. But,
1: uh, I yes. know. Still going. Well, happy to be back. Happy to talk to you. Hello. Hello. Uh, yes,
0: uh, yes. Thank you very much for coming back. Um, and uh, uh, before we get into the... Uh, the film which everyone that has downloaded this will know what film we're going to be reviewing <laughs> uh, but Ooh. what i wanted to talk with you about first is um uh, uh just a little behind the scene peek here everyone we are recording this very shortly before the second season of it makes a sound is released and yeah. uh i and i figured um well technically, I was about to reach out to you and discuss having you come back on and talk about it. And
1: then you reached out to
0: me. So I did.
1: Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't cool. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't wait for you to ask me. I blew it. Well, it it's fine, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I figured it would be good to have you come back on, and we could discuss it. And then, um, as we'll talk about a little later, we will also get into a film which kind of has some things in common a little bit with It Makes a Sound. But uh, uh, but anyway, yes. Why don't Why don't you give the elevator pitch for It Makes a Sound, and then we can talk about that a little bit.
1: I will. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I'm very excited to talk about the ways it connects to our film today. But It Makes a Sound is uh, not a podcast like this one. It is a musical fiction podcast. And I would say it's a tender and quirky and definitely nostalgic story (laughs) about a woman who returns home to her decrepit hometown uh, on an abandoned golf course to care for her mother who has dementia. And we meet this woman, Deirdre Gardner, in the midst of an incredible discovery. She has found a cassette tape from 1992 in the attic that contains the only recording, the only known recording of the first concert of former resident and uh, musical genius, Wim Ferros. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and uh, we kind of quickly figure out that for various reasons she cannot play that tape. So what ensues is Deirdre's attempt to revive what she thinks is the sound of a generation entirely from memory. And uh, on that journey, she and her mother find themselves fronting a wildly avant-garde multi generational band that they have accidentally formed and, uh, and that band, much to their uh, surprise and dismay, um, kind of garners some international fame yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're coming back to a second season um where where things have gotten a little rougher in rosemary hills and and Deirdre is uh, taking care of her mother from the nursing home and having to reckon with the fact that her public plea for people to remember Wim Phrows has inadvertently uh created a cult sensation. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I I also very much enjoy that you were able to give a basic plot
1: without giving away the basic plot. So that was very well done. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting, like when you're trying to describe, I'm sure you, you deal with this when you're talking about movies. But I think for a long time, I was trying to cloak the story in a lot of mystery. And now it's been a long time since the first season. It's like, you you don't have to be so mysterious. You can sort of stay, state a little bit more of what's happened and reveal yeah. the plot, which is a relief. And I feel that about movies too, when people are like, oh, I don't want to spoil it for you. It's like, it's been out since 1990. You can spoil it. <laughs> uh,
0: very true. Um, although although I, I will say uh, there are definitely some things within the first season that you deftly avoided discussing. Uh, so. Well, thank you.
1: I thank you. <laughs> uh,
0: but yes, I... Please I, listen. Yeah, I, I really do recommend everyone listen to it because um, when when it first uh, was airing and I was listening to it, it was one of those podcasts that I was listening to and realizing I hadn't really heard anything quite like it. Um, mm. I... I would say the only thing that sort of came close uh, to to be like you know this kind of feels similar and, and mm-hmm. I got into it in the same way was actually the orbiting human circuits of the air. Mm. Um, well,
1: and, that's and, such uh, a flattering <laughs> uh, comparison. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no, no trouble. Yeah, it was it was a um I, I very much enjoyed that podcast i really enjoyed the first season of it makes a sound um unfortunately given my uh, relatively busy schedule i was unable to follow along with the re listen uh that you were you were hosting previously but um i i do want to uh go back and kind of try and get it all in again before i start with the second season and uh Aww. and i i do Well thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. Thank
1: you. I mean, you've been such a lovely supporter of the fan right from the beginning, which I appreciate so much. And and I'd be interested to hear what you think if you do a re-listen, because I've heard from a lot of listeners that you know the show. The show finished in twenty eighteen, and uh, we subsequently made a. a soundtrack album in the following year for the first season but the we haven't had any more story you know since 2018 so it's been a long time and obviously these past few years have been a very intense very full time for everybody and so um, as we've been doing this re-listen to lead up to the second season it's been interesting because a lot of people have reached out and said wow like it, it sounds quite Different the, on the second listen after what we've been through, because I think at the end of the day, to me, um, I hope what comes through is that it's it's really a story about how to transcend grief and loss um, and solitude. You know, with kind of a big dose dose of whimsy and faith and and music, and about really having to do that in front of community. That that you know, you can't heal without community and you have to find your people you have to find people in general so um, I hope that that resonates in some way right now
0: and the, the interesting thing as well like, and i don't know if this was 100 percent intentional uh or if it was just like a sort of a byproduct of trying to get people to re-listen before the second season comes out you are getting people who may have listened in 2018 to nostalgically look back at the podcast about nostalgia <laughs> 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 so, that's right yeah so yeah it's um uh it's again like i i can't recommend enough that people go listen to it uh, and just uh, uh get in on the uh, the majesty that is Wim Ferris or at least Aww. the majesty that will be Wim Ferris technically right. since as you pointed out you don't actually hear Wim Ferris for quite right. some time that's
1: right who is Wim Ferris <laughs> yes. but that's that's an interesting point about nostalgia like i wonder if there's uh i wonder if there's like a statistic where nostalgia is something that is meant to kick in, you know, like at, at how much time has passed before we typically feel nostalgic for something. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine that the pandemic has really uh, altered time in some way, you know, like it's only been a span of, I mean, not only because it's it's felt so long, but it's been a yeah. span of two and a half years, not even. And I think we can really feel nostalgic for 2019 or 2018, you know, and I, I wonder I wonder if that's, uh it seems it seems very rare in my life you know that you're nostalgic for a time that was so recent
0: yeah no it 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 really is something that uh you know with everything that's been going on the past couple of years it's been both the longest two years in history but also the shortest yeah Uh, and like yeah time effectively has Accordioned itself um, mm-hmm. just across this time, and uh, uh, it, it is it is very odd because, of course, people are going to be nostalgic for a time before there was a pandemic. Doesn't matter what mm. the pandemic is, everyone's going to want it to either be over or to not have happened in the first place. So, sure. yeah, everyone's really going to be looking back at anything from the before time, um, and just uh, looking at that. And I. And I, I do think genuinely that there's something, especially whimsical, about looking back at a podcast from several years ago that is a person looking back at something from a couple of decades ago mm-hmm. um, and just like sort of an extra sort of meta layer to it that uh, that I very much enjoy.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad because I think, I think you'll find that there's a whole lot of meta going on in the second season. Oh, good.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, Yes, I I am a big fan of meta humor, so yes, I, I'm looking forward to that. Then. Great. But yes, uh, since uh, since we're not going to start uh, getting into any spoilers or anything about the second season, um, so uh, and by the time this comes out, you will have at least released one episode, if not a couple, one, two, or three. Um, so uh, when what is the date that it's coming out, and what is the release schedule for the second season? <laughs>
1: So the first episode comes out on May 8th, which here in the States is Mother's Day. And that is, it was, you know, very purposeful um, because it's a, a show about a daughter and, and her mother. Um, and we're releasing every two weeks. So every other Sunday. So that should okay. take us to either, um, I have a, perhaps a trick up my sleeve. So it's either going to take us to the end of August or the beginning of September. Okay. But like the great thing about podcasts is they're etched in eternity, right? So it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, that's what's exciting <laughs> as a relatively new newbie to podcasting in some ways, because this is my only show. Like, it's it's so exciting that people are still coming to the show for the first time, and I'm sure you experience the same thing. You know, where it's like, oh wow, it, uh, a s- series date, the time that is active is um, especially in the fiction podcasting world. Um, doesn't mean as much as it does, I think, of course, with television, you know? No.
0: Yeah. and it, Well, and it, it is something that um, like, this type of thing just didn't exist in any format, like even, let's say, 20 years ago. Like, you, mm. know, you could – I mean, you, know, you could go out and buy VHS or, you know, rent it from mm-hmm. Blockbuster or something of something that had been on, usually a film, but – I think very rarely they did have t v shows um but the idea that at literally any point in time after something is made, someone could just stumble upon it at any point yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 really interesting where we're at now, and um i'm I'm intrigued to see what happens that i mean obviously um the only thing that could befall a podcast that would mean that no one could get it anymore would be if whatever hosting server they're on mm-hmm. just like you don't pay the fees or what have you and it just goes away um but but That's even right. so uh depending on how thorough the person that has been in charge of it is like maybe they also have a youtube uh yeah panel or a soundcloud or something like that So
1: well i thought it was a very it makes a sound thing that happened when was it like I, more than a year ago now when myspace basically erased all of the music yeah, and troves of people's you know mp3s and audio files of all of this music that they had new music that they'd put on um myspace and many of it just lived in the world of myspace was was eradicated
0: yeah yeah it's, it's very I, i'll be honest i have not been on myspace since I was at university. I yeah, think. me
1: neither. I would love to be back on it though. I wish. I wish I could remember my password. Can yeah, you get on MySpace now? Uh, what I happens mean, if we uh, go to MySpace? Assuming
0: they haven't shut down the servers, technically, yeah. Um, I'm
1: going, Paul. Let's start a new MySpace. <laughs> this can be our new hobby.
0: I mean, like, I think don't it's have only, anything else to do. I, I mean, it's only <gasps> it's only right that you create and it makes a sound. MySpace, I mean, really. <laughs> Or even a Wim Ferris <laughs> MySpace page.
1: Wow, it still exists. Wow, it's yeah. a real relic. <laughs> Can I tell you one of the most amazing things that have happen- has happened to me um, because of It Makes a Sound is sure. that I was invited to the, uh, I live in Los Angeles now, but um, up until a few years ago, I lived in New York. And I was invited to the New York um, Performing Arts Library at Lincoln Center, where they hold where they hold the archives of um, like the performing arts archives. Wow. And so there's so many amazing relics that like are held in you know these sort of temperature regulated spaces beneath in the jowls in, in the bow, bowels not jowls <laughs> in the bowels of Lincoln Center and. Um, we did a little performance there because they kind of connected to it makes a sound in the way that Deirdre is a very amateur archivist, <laughs> and as a little gift to me at the end, they surprised me during at the end of the performance. Um, we had the album, the soundtrack album, put on an actual cassette tape, and so they put the cassette tape in the archive of the New York City Public Library.
0: Wow. I know.
1: (laughs) I was so moved by that. And I feel, you know, who knows if anyone will ever come across it ever in the next several hundred years. But I feel like it's one of my greatest achievements that my little cassette tape that I made is now among the archives in the New York Public Library.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's insane. <laughs> that's that's uh, really <laughs> trippy. It's
1: insane only for the deepest of nerds, but I appreciate that you think it's insane because I I also think that.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it it's it really is something like you know, and you know, you're gonna have people out there that are like, well, well, podcasts aren't art. like you know, it's, not, it's like, are, are you paying any attention to what's going on? Because like, yeah, of course it is. I mean. Yeah, especially yeah. I would say, based on listening to everything um, from the first season and knowing some of the stuff that goes into it, like you probably put more time and effort into it than some artists spend on their albums. Like yeah, it's. Uh,
1: Thank you. I yeah. I would say that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And luckily, I've had a few, you know, Vin Cashion, my sound engineer, has been on that journey with me. But, um, but yeah, uh, I wouldn't go into fiction podcasting to make your fortunes, but no. it's definitely, but it's definitely an area where you know you, you still have a lot of amazing creative control. Um, and it was a journey that was thrust upon me, um, you know. But I feel it's it's so creatively rewarding because of that. There's a you can put a lot of preciousness into it. Um, yeah, I love it. I, I love this medium.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it is very interesting. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and I, I'm excited to see what comes next. I mean, not even just with the medium, but also to see what you do with it, because um, uh, obviously you've got the next season of It Makes a Sound coming out, but uh, uh, given what you've done so far, I'm intrigued to see what other things you may end up doing because
1: uh Aw, thanks paul thank yeah. you so much for saying that
0: yeah no, no problem <laughs> and i guess uh with all of that uh we should probably jump yeah. over to uh the uh, the other reason why you're here um yeah. so can't wait yes so um, obviously you you reached out just before i was going to and uh, suggested that you come on and uh and we have uh we had some more time and i was like well, given what It Makes the Sound is about and the nostalgia and the looking back, I can't think of a better film that fits that than a film I had considered reviewing for quite some time and had been unable to find the right, funnily enough, hook for. And so, oh, uh, la la. Yes, yeah, so uh, I figured uh, this time, why not do 1991's hook um, because i can tell you it is one of the most nostalgic films for me Mm. um absolutely definitely a huge part of uh, of my upbringing um now this film was released when i was four so Mm. i didn't see it when it initially was released um not only because apparently it was only originally theatrically released in america and canada Hmm. So it did Weird. not get, as far as I can tell, it did not. Considering get it takes award. place
1: mostly in London.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you'd think that uh, it's a sequel to Peter Pan mm. with Robin Williams directed by Steven Spielberg. Right. Why is it not a worldwide
1: <laughs> release? Oh, uh, that's interesting. But
0: way back when they did not do that. Uh, uh, so, yeah. But. Uh, budget for this film was seventy million dollars, and just in America for the original release, it made a hundred and nineteen million six hundred fifty-four thousand eight hundred twenty-three U.S. dollars.
1: So, mm. good it, job, Spielberg. He's such it, an underdog.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, I, I think uh, I think he'll go on to do good things. Yeah, uh, I think so. <laughs> so uh, but yeah, no. I mean, this. I, I guess my question uh, to start with would be like what was your initial introduction to this film like what um when do you
1: remember when you first saw it it's such a good question i was so thrilled when you brought up this film because i you know my first feeling was like what it it felt similarly like such a seminal film of my childhood but then at but then it's like i really could only remember the feelings of it you know there was there was so much that i feel like i i couldn't recall how it actually went down, you know, like how they, how they ultimately framed it, the individual scenes. But I, you know, this is how memory works, right? It's so hard to know (laughs) if I actually remember this or if upon my very recent rewatch, I kind of dug up all of these almost sense memories around it. So I think that what my memory now is telling me upon the rewatch is that I watched it for the first time with my cousins in, uh, rural Wisconsin and that we were like in my aunt and uncle's basement and, you know, kind of glued to the television. Of course that I, like, I didn't see it in the theater, but I watched it as a, as a VHS tape (laughs) and I think I have no idea, you know, I have no idea, but, um, but there was so much that kind of came back to me sensorily around it um, I think if before I did the rewatch if I was kind of forced to say what I definitely remember it's like I remember the look of the film absolutely and I remember the um, the food fight scene yeah <laughs> very clearly and I remember um, Gwyneth Paltrow very clearly <laughs> <laughs> um but there was so much about it that I, I really was like, huh, this is how it unfolds. Huh. <laughs> no recollection of that. Like, n- truly no recollection even that, like, we meet Robin Williams as a, uh, you know, kind of busy corporate lawyer.
0: Yeah. No, uh, an absolute workaholic. Um, and my my favorite part of what you just said is that you have a strong recollection of Gwyneth Paltrow when she is literally on screen for one
1: second. <laughs> I know. But then, you know, what I really thought when I was watching this, I was like, well, this is one way it's dated. It's like it's this is a movie about lost boys and every woman is Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, every <laughs> woman in the film looks like Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, obviously, Maggie Smith is meant to be old Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. but then there's actual Gwyneth Paltrow, and then there's Robin Williams's mother, who looks exactly like Gwyneth Paltrow, and then the kid, who, of course, looks like Gwyneth Paltrow, and the wife, who looks like Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, every woman <laughs> who is on screen, except for Julia Roberts, who is Julia Roberts, is Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: <is> very interesting <laughs> to say like that... Um, and I will say one of my one of my notes as I was watching it was apparently it's the hairstyle of Maggie Smith that dictates how old she looks because <laughs> yes. because she looks older in this than she looks in the Harry Potter films
1: I uh, mean Maggie Smith has been old for like six decades, yeah <laughs> yeah she she has just She's been... a stunning woman. Like I think she's beautiful. Oh, yeah. I think she's beautiful right now. But and you know and like when you look at her in the Royal Shakespeare Company and you know and when she was doing all of those early plays she uh, she's such a knockout in The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, things like that. She's a real knockout and she is still a real knockout. But like they've had her playing Old for so long. Yeah. yeah I wonder she... if anybody's played Old as long as Maggie Smith has played Old.
0: Well, let say, I mean, if, even if you just were to say this was the start of it, uh, she's been playing old for 31 years.
1: <laughs> I This can't even have been the start of it. It's got to be over that. And you know yeah. what? It makes me think about, like, all those hot, you know, those, like, hot Shakespeare ladies, like all of the hot, hot women of the Royal Shakespeare Company, and, like, somehow Helen Mirren... Got her moment, whether it was like a meme or whatever it was, but you know how like everybody's, everybody has seen all those pictures of like Helen Mirren in a bikini at like at age 60, at age 70. And so somehow Helen Mirren got to like reclaim her vitality and then started playing all these sex pots again. Yeah. I think she was like about to turn over the edge, you know, and then somebody snapped her on the beach and they're like, whoa, <laughs> 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 Helen Mirren is Stone Cold Fox and she's 70. But I feel like, like Maggie Smith should have staged a paparazzi photo like that because, it, you know, if, if somebody had just been like, oh, my God, Maggie Smith is also a Stone Cold Fox, her whole career <laughs> could have turned. I I suppose I I – I have a
0: feeling she's probably absolutely fine
1: with uh, that. With yeah, she's at. She's I am sure she's fine.
0: Like, yeah, and obviously she, she. I mean, for an entire generation, for the rest of their lives, she will be McGonagall. Like, that's just they're, yeah, no nothing else. It doesn't matter what else she does at this point, or what else they see here in, she is McGonagall, and uh, um, and I have no issue with that. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, right, uh, right. Um, But yeah, I, one, one thing I did want to ask you, and um, I I have, I mean, (laughs) one of many things, uh, but like one, one of the big things that I initially thought of when I was like, okay, we're going to do this film is, can you think of anyone else who could have played Peter Pan grown up?
1: I mean, I'd have liked to have seen Tom Cruise give it a shot. (laughs) I mean,
0: like. 1991 tom cruise has grown up peter pan i mean he would have been i mean he basically would have fit into the same clothing that the original peter pan wore um so i guess he would have had the body for it but uh, i mean someone who just so embodies
1: like, yeah, I mean, I can bad. think of someone yeah. like one of my favorite actors, and you mentioned the orbiting human circus, John Cameron Mitchell. Like, how much would you pay for Hook starring John Cameron Mitchell? That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah,
0: and I, i've I've been trying to to rack my brain to think like someone who could uh, obviously do the um, the he's completely lost all of. What would have made him Peter at the beginning, mm. and then someone who can then pull off Peter's back, like once he's mm. he's gone for Peter again, and really the only thing that I can think of, the only person I can think of that would even come close was actually Jim Carrey, but he just he's not the right build. Like, yeah, it, if that sounds weird, because Jim Carrey it would can just absolutely, yeah.
1: Do. Like, yeah he's an amazing actor
0: Serious, and then he can do the silly but like it's still not right like his style doesn't fit but if you think of someone who is who who was um frustratingly was um just like the eternal child like the just oh, someone yeah. who was so so loving and so like could connect with with anyone like for instance mara wilson when he was working on um, oh, Mr. Doubtfire, yeah. like, yeah, and all that, like, he, uh, I, I I can't think of a better choice um, for, to, as I
1: someone. know. I mean, he really, Robin Williams is such, such a beautiful thing that we had, you know, like such a beautiful yeah. human, such a beautiful thing that now will always live in our imaginations. And actually, I feel like shaped, for several generations of imagination, you know, like mm-hmm. I feel like he was out of time and, uh, you know, that puckish character who was, you know, as rightfully captured in many films, just out of this world, not not of this world. Mm-hmm. And um, and that it's always good to be reminded of that, you know, it's good to, to watch because when you're looking, when you're watching Hook when you're a kid, you know... In some ways, I guess you take Robin Williams for granted only because, you know, you're not thinking about him being an actor, but he is embedded in the very fabric of your being and he's embedded in the very fabric of my childhood, you know, yeah. um, and my imagination. And so it's it's always, yeah, whatever anybody thinks of this movie, it's just like, of course it's a perfect vehicle for Robin <laughs> Williams. Why would you do this movie with, if not for Robin Williams, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely and um uh yeah, it, it's it's so it, it was so odd to go back and re-watch this this is the first time i've watched this since robin williams died and yeah, me too yeah yeah it was um uh it was odd to rewatch this and like i i didn't realize that i i, I knew it was a, li- a little bit until he really started to under, like accept that he was Peter and then become Peter again. I didn't realize it was a full like hour to an hour
1: and a half. I know, <laughs> my god, the exposition.
0: <laughs> and it, but the the thing that got me was even though it took that long, I wasn't bored. Like, and I don't know yeah. how much of that was nostalgia, but uh, like watching it, I felt they they did a good job pacing it like they really set up i mean just how how bad of a father like yeah and and not necessarily that he wasn't uh you know providing for his kids or anything like that but he he was he is absolutely not a present father um Mm -hmm. you know he's working himself to the bone and then and then after you you saw that quite clearly you then got to see where where he came from and Even though you know, like, I don't think a single person went into the film not knowing that Robin Williams was playing Peter Pan. Sure. Um, Yeah. It was still not until you got to see Granny Wendy and they really started talking um, about the the old stories that you started to go, oh, yeah, (laughs) like he he was Peter. okay." like what the hell happened? And then um, and then hook comes along and uh, uh, uh a fantastic um way dustin of doing hoffman. it I yeah uh, yeah and um uh, i actually wanted to ask i don't know if you're aware did you catch the the other role that he has in the film
1: that robin williams has uh
0: no that no uh, that, dustin that dustin hoffman, hoffman has yeah <gasps> no he Perhaps is i was chopping voice. my brussels sprouts He's the voice of the pilot on the plane. Oh, so.
1: Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's so amazing. So, like, and, and that's another thing where, cause obviously ultimately with this film, it could be entirely in his head. Like, yeah, wow. uh, they, they, they set it up in a way that pretty much everything that happens, like he's pulling from things. So hook this, this ultimate, uh, force that's been hounding him for his life and that he is you know scared of it's the voice of the person flying the plane and he's terrified of flying like so
1: that is so interesting and it makes me actually relate it to one of my favorite uh stories that uh, like about filmmaking that that is connected to dustin hoffman because like years ago when i was living in new york i went to see the great mike nichols speak and at the 92nd Street Y, and he said something to the audience. He said, any, any playwright or screenwriter writer or director worth their salt must state their thesis both immediately and invisibly. And then he's like, for instance, in The Graduate, he's like, I worked really hard to state my thesis immediately and invisibly. Does anybody know what the very first thing that the audience is aware of in the movie is? Like, what's the first thing that hits you? Do you know The Graduate very well, Paul? Um, I do not. I've only seen bits and pieces. I don't think I've actually sat down and watched the whole thing. So, oh my God, well, let me, <laughs> please do, and then I'll come back on and we'll talk about that. But <laughs> So he asked the audience, he was like, what's the very first thing you see or hear in The Graduate? And almost everybody was like, it's the, um, like Dustin Hoffman on the moving walkway in the airport, you know, where Simon and Garfunkel's Sound of Silence is playing. And... Uh, Mike Nichols was like, right, that's what you think you saw. But that's what I mean by state your thesis, both immediately and invisibly. He was like, actually, the very first image of The Graduate is it, like the picture is, bla- is black. And then it's basically lights up on this extreme close up of Dustin Hoffman's face with his eyes closed. And then over the um, speaker system, you hear Ladies and gentlemen, we are now beginning our descent into Los Angeles. And then the Simon and Garfunkel movie er, – music starts playing. And then we see Dustin Hoffman on the moving rock walkway. And he was like, that's the thesis to me of The Graduate. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now beginning our descent into Los Angeles. And I think about that all the time. And I wonder if – I feel like maybe that's such a famous story. I wonder if Spielberg was giving a little nod to that. Could be. <laughs> that's awesome uh, though that's so that's such an amazing easter egg
0: yeah um and the the other one that i wanted to mention because i bring it up anytime i talk to anyone about hook um did you know that glenn close is in this film
1: well i saw that on imdb and <laughs> i didn't see her in the rewatch where was she
0: she is the pirate that gets put into the boo box <gasps>
1: No way. The yep, one that he comes, like, Hook comes and it's like between, between uh, Peter, Peter and, and that no yep. way. That's Glenn Close. That's Glenn Close. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I did know what I did notice right away. I was like, is that David Crosby? <laughs> I did notice David Crosby. Did you? Uh, I... I-
0: I think I did this side, like, I previously <laughs> had no idea who that guy was. So, yeah. I, uh, I that
1: was the one that really caught my eye. I was like, what? And then, of course, I looked on IMDB and David Crosby is indeed tickles. And he's the guy who uh, gets uh, Peter Pan, like, uh, steps down hard on the plank and it knocks him in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> and did you by any chance notice who Inspector Good was at the beginning? I did indeed, yes. The, yeah. uh uh it's uh,
0: the the drummer extraordinaire himself, Phil Collins. Yes. That's right. um, uh, oh man. And, it's fun to be famous. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then um uh oddly, uh the cameo that abs- there's no way you would know this if you didn't either look it up or were directly told.
1: I know who um, you're gonna say. Uh
0: yeah, George Lucas and Carrie Fisher are the kissing couple at the end of the film.
1: No, I didn't know George Lucas was the other one. Yep. <laughs> oh my God. So,
0: it's like what? Like honestly, it could have been anyone. Like there is not a soul that would be able to pick them out, um, even Don't, on uh, yeah. like the the widescreen cinema there is no way you would have known who that was uh but yeah that's, that's yeah. such a cool thing to be like yep yep that yeah they're in it they were in hook um, that's I'm incredible
1: sure. <laughs> yeah. i imagine that they were like all at a dinner party like george lucas carrie fisher phil collins david crosby glenn close you know they were all at a dinner party and then and spielberg was like i've got a great idea come to the set tomorrow
0: <laughs> yeah pretty much
1: <laughs> oh, so uh, fun
0: yeah, <laughs> and uh, and of course the um the other late great um, Bob Hoskins as yeah. uh, as me. Uh, so good. I think I I remember originally like thinking back on rewatching like obviously Hook Dustin Hoffman great job did fantastic as Hook Bob Hoskins as me was amazing masterpiece <laughs> like, yeah. like a, a, all of those things where like he he does the joke when he's introducing hook and says he's almost unfathomable and just there's absolutely nothing so he he does that okay uh, <laughs> yeah and then he does another like, okay thank you um or you know when um uh when it doesn't you know captain Hook's like Smee, where's the carpet? Like, oh, <laughs> okay,
1: <so> he, um, <laughs> right, right. He's like a master of subtlety. <laughs> um,
0: and and I I often I often wonder. I've, I've never looked it up, but the scene when Smee goes like running off into a room by himself, and he's just running in circles, just like uh, asking about uh, Smee. and then he just ends up, which like. Which means me, like what about me <laughs> like, like how how much of what he did there was improvised because i I feel yeah. like they just let him kind of run with it? I bet they um, did. yeah uh, but yeah no, that's uh, another mm. another fantastic actor, uh unfortunately
1: yeah again, he but, really uh, he really packed yeah. him in in this one. I did learn in my in my sojourn through IMDB an interesting fact that the kid who plays Jack, who was so good. I thought he was such a good actor. Yeah. The child actor. And it was interesting because he looked, he looked so much more familiar to me. Like, I feel like he has made, he really imprinted on me somehow as a, as a child. And when I was looking him up, I don't think that I've seen him in too many other things. It must be like from hook that is what made such an impression on me but he's a really good actor and it really shines through you can tell um and interestingly in art imitating or life imitating art in a kind of warped way he is a big time corporate lawyer now (laughs) isn't that crazy like (laughs) he's grown up to be like a Big time corporate lawyer and a teacher of corporate law at many different law schools.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. Like uh, that that somehow he, like he was in a film where his character dad like was a effectively negligent father because of how <laughs> busy he was working as a corporate lawyer.
1: And apparently he went, that's the life of me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The whole, I feel like the message is like, don't sell out your soul. Like, don't sell out your, your, the child in you to pirates, to the pirates, you know? Yeah. Like, isn't that what Granny Wendy says when she hears what Peter does? She said, oh, yeah. Peter, you've become a pirate.
0: Yeah. And, and it's entirely because of how Jack is describing it, which obviously, um, one of a couple of things that was uh quite on the nose when it comes to the to the script for it but uh, uh a welcome addition actually because that that is kind of what kids would say <laughs> for that um i uh i will say I, I did think that the kids in this were were very good um and uh the only the only bit in the film that i and i even remember as a kid uh just being like Okay. When I saw it is when who um, uh, Maggie, when Maggie is just singing. Singing.
1: What is that? She's like Fifele in an American tale. What is yeah. happening? Just <laughs> randomly holding a post and singing out into the air. I think I understand symbolically what it's meant to be. Like, I feel like you know the Lost Boys are starved for like any kind of like female gentility and any kind of maternal nature. Any, I mean, she's a little like six-year-old kid, but like um, she's the one who keeps like reminding us about her mommy and mother and talking about mother, and she's the one who defends hook at the end and says, like, he's just a mean old man who, like, really needs a mommy. (laughs) So she has, she has, like, an understanding, I think, that all these boys need a mommy. And so, like, I think we kind of see that she could hold the mantle of Wendy, possibly. But, um, but I feel like there was just maybe too much cut around her (laughs) where they're like, but keep, keep when she's holding on to the wooden post and singing apropos of nothing into the air yeah like i mean the, there's pretty much nothing else in
0: the film that says we're going to have a musical moment here um and then just all of a sudden she's just singing and it's like i was trying to remember i didn't go back and rewatch peter pan is there no. a moment when wendy is singing to the lost boys in that mm. film cuz maybe they were I just trying to if there was I, I mean I know she was telling stories to the lost boy I don't think she sang but maybe yeah, it, huh again, did my, she not get
1: memory. a did she not uh, get a song it seems like it. they they need to like you know have some <laughs> have some of the Disney Sopranos be able to work back then yeah I
0: mean, well I mean they they had they had a number of uh, of songs in it anyway and maybe they were just like nah Wendy doesn't need one uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, huh. Yeah, I, I was going to say she definitely felt like she was fulfilling the Wendy role in Neverland, yeah. like being there. Um, she was a real but-
1: sweetheart. I do, I do feel like the actor, the, the real, uh, as I've said, like I felt like the standout actor of all the kids was definitely Jack. And he reminded me a lot of Doogie Howser's friend, Max. Like, What's his name? Uh, that actor, Max Caston uh, Castanello or something like that um, maybe that's why he felt so familiar to me because he like really seemed like Doogie Howser's wingman <laughs> did you have that show maybe did you have that show in Britain I um, I did not but that doesn't mean
0: that um, it wasn't available somewhere um, oh, man. But, uh, Doogie Howser MD is
1: Neil Patrick Harris as a boy genius doctor yes, I, and surgeon I, I've learnt <laughs> I've learned that it exists, and I've learned the basic
0: premise. Uh, but yes, the, yes. You know, okay, great. Yeah, right, not, it's in the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. Not, not something I've actively looked out for. <laughs> no,
1: but you know, you know what made me cock my head in in this film on the rewatch was um, Tinker Bell. Like I. <laughs> I got Julia Roberts for a lot of it. I was like, okay, great, good old Tink. But mm. what about the what about the party she throws him for the welcome home? And like, is suddenly in a full ball gown. I was like, did Richard Gere just come in? <laughs> like, did Richard Gere just buy you some clothes, Tink? Like, what? And then she gets bit. I want to talk about that part. What did you make about that part? Uh, I let's I tell the
0: audience because because. Um, Obviously, one of the biggest things in Peter Pan is tink is Peters like there there's no if Sandor or buts about that Tink is Peters in that, and she gets fiercely right. jealous of anyone who might take i mean specifically wendy yeah you know, someone someone who could fulfill the same role as, as right. tink so yeah you know, that I will say Julia Roberts I thought did a relatively good job of kind of regular tinks like you know the, the things that are a little bit mischievous and just yeah. willing to go along with whatever there's absolutely no malice in this tinkerbell um, right and i feel like there needed to be something like this was sort of their equivalent of tink going red and all it is is tink getting big and then saying that she loves peter like it's like yeah it's, uh, there wasn't it wasn't a like she's been so and it could have been done like she's so mad that peter grew up and got married like and being like yeah is it because i'm so small like it or whatever and then that being the the moment when she finally snaps and like explodes the house and gets big again or something but again they didn't even do that it was just she's upset (laughs) but uh but also not really, because she gets over it very quickly. Um,
1: Yeah, (laughs) I had a really hard time following the storytelling and the psychology of that moment. I mean, hearing you talk about it, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it's fun that she's possessive and, you know, that she turns red. I appreciate that even in 1991, you know, in a sort of Bechdel test kind of way, they didn't have Tinkerbell, like, you know, just in a sort of petty jealous fury over Gwyneth Paltrow, who's on screen for a minute, you know, um, Like that that part was actually very subtle. I thought they really kept it between Tinkerbell and Peter, which was nice. But that moment, like first of all, she's a tiny little fairy. He comes in, she's in full Cinderella mode, um, with her like flaming red hair, and he's like, Oh, you look beautiful and she's like, Uh uh-huh, uh uh like thank you, like I'm throwing a party for you. Like it's just us. And then and then it cuts to a whole scene with the teddy bear and he connects himself Like, he connects the bear to fatherhood. And then doesn't even something else happen before? Yeah. And then, like, another scene happens. Yeah, Rufio
0: gives his sword over, I think. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they cut back and, like, he comes to Tinkerbell in her little house made of credit cards. And (laughs) she's back in, like, you know, sort of fairy peasant dress. And she's crying. And he is now like full kid mode and he seems to have some sort of amnesia now that he's gone back into full kid mode, like can't remember his adulthood in a reversal. And so he doesn't like recognize that she's sad. He just thinks she's sick or something. So he starts making jokes. And then she asks, "What doesn't she ask him? She's like, do you even know why you're in Neverland? And yeah. he says something about. More, he suddenly like stirs into memory about Moira. Is that her name? His his wife. Well,
0: it's not even that because because she said, you know, why are you here? And he says, oh, like you know, to play and have fun. Ask me another one. And like, and then she says, like, you know, you know, what about your kids? And then he's like, Peter Pan's got kids. Right, right. And then it's not until she gets big and goes up to him and kisses him. And says that she loves him, and then it's him saying "I love," and then he says Moira, and it's like it's it's like he it, and it is odd because obviously the happy thought that got him to fly again is remembering that he's a dad, and then between that and talking to Tinkerbell again, which is I think only about like two minutes of screen time, he has completely forgotten everything. Like so, so right. his so his happy thought that got him to fly again is no longer his happy thought until he then remembers again i guess i'm not sure it's <laughs> like um a little bit of a uh
1: i found I that part so confusing topic, but... i found it so confusing and i also feel like i still don't understand what made her big like the fact that he is now an adult and a big guy and uh doesn't remember his adulthood and so she's suddenly able to be big and profess her love to him like what does she feel is next what are they going to do here in never Neverland together <laughs>
0: well the uh, like i mean that she does just have that it kind of feels like a throwaway line uh, but after she does explode um you know she says dear me i did it and it's like she was trying to do like yeah is it is something that she's tried before and she finally was able to do it or is it something that she didn't know she could do and then all of a sudden she obviously is now big like uh but yeah it, it definitely felt like you know obviously if she felt that she isn't enough for peter at the size she's at like she was just trying to get bigger but again like it was it was definitely something that felt like they wanted to address the original, um, like the original relationship from the first film. But the problematic part is they're not going to have Peter Pan suddenly decide he's in love with Tinkerbell because that's not going to work. It's
1: funny. To me, it felt like it was a moment where it was like, we can't have our biggest, most gorgeous star not be her proper size in a ball gown for at least <laughs> 45 seconds of this film. Yeah. and like kiss <laughs> and kiss our our leading man which yeah. was annoying to me and i was like really come on
0: yeah and i i mean and this came out what a year after pretty woman so like uh, yeah it was, so pretty much was just like well i mean she was dressed up in that do we do, we do it again yeah let's do it again like uh <laughs> Yeah, it, it it probably was a studio note, if I had to guess. I um,
1: absolutely feel it was. And I feel like Spielberg was like, fine, let's do it. It's not going to work, but I'll show you.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he probably got an extra $10 million out of it. It was like, tell you mm, what, I I, I'll do it if you give me more money to dress up the Lost Boys um, yeah. area or something. Yeah. Um, I, but it.
1: that's it. Like, speaking of, you know, kind of, I think, what – why we're tying this this movie into It Makes a Sound is, like, sort of the thing that I'm obsessed with is, you know, like, the impossibility of memory. The fact that, like, you know, whole pieces of our memory get lost, get compartmentalized, get um, taken away. And I do think memory is such an interesting thing in this movie. You know, at the beginning, it's almost like... Mm, I don't know like from a from a contemporary lens. I mean you, maybe you'd know better because of the line of work you're in, but it's like it's almost like Peter's Peter's time Peter Banning's time as Peter Pan is totally erased from his memory. He says that he doesn't remember anything before he was adopted at age 12. And it's almost like trauma, you know, it's it's so separate from him. Yeah. And yeah, then I'm- there's this moment that we were just talking about where it's like the second he kind of goes back into his childhood he has an amnesia for his adulthood
0: yeah and and they even um they even throw in a line uh when maggie's being taken away from jack where she's yelling like neverland makes you forget
1: Hmm.
0: so it's like it's almost like did they throw that in so that they could have peter forget his adult life but i i do think it is interesting because it seems like um, and obviously, you know, this is all uh, conjecture based on um yeah, you know, we're basically Charlie Day now with the uh, you know, <laughs> with the poster boards and the and the string everywhere. But um uh like in the original Peter Pan it very much seems like uh was it um uh George mm. at some point in his childhood probably Either went to Neverland or
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or witnessed something because at the end of the film he says, you know, like when he when he sees the flying ship, he's like, you know, that reminds me of something. Yeah. Like, from, like I think I've seen yeah. that before. And so it's like it really does seem that anyone that has left Neverland and comes and grows up, with the exception of Wendy, um, mm. it it seems like it's almost you, like a
1: past life, yeah.
0: Yeah. Once you actually grow up, you lose, um, <laughs> I have no idea why this just jumped into my head, but, um, have you, have you ever seen, uh, there was, I think it was a Disney channel original or something like that. <laughs> it was a tooth fairy film with, <laughs> with like, was it Kirstie Alley or something? Uh, uh, no,
1: sounds great.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, like it, it, it's it basically, um, uh, is it Kirstie? I I always get the, the two names mixed up. Whoever was the second in command in Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, Kristen um, Johnson. That's it. Um, so, so it was her. So she is the main character in this <laughs> film. Funny. And, like, she dies, but she gets turned into a tooth fairy. Um, nice. And so, like, she... Uh, and you know she's trying to come back it turns out if she does this thing she might be able to but she has to basically let kids see her which is against the rule and blah 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 it's a disney channel film you can probably guess what happens by the end anyway uh <laughs> but um uh but anyway the the entire premise of that is once you lose your last child's teeth mm. you lose all memory of oh, wow. um like the magic of the two fairy and stuff like that like so it's like and it's kind of like um Mm. like in this it seems as though once you accept that you're gonna grow up like you lose your memory of neverland and i think i think the idea is wendy never 100 percent grew up she always had that child like streak like yeah um and so uh but peter did um so and then when he goes back uh he he does flip the other way. So I guess once you, the idea being once you're a child in Neverland, like you're not an adult anymore. So he effectively just isn't, um, for right for whatever that three minutes of screen time was. I liked
1: I like that also though in Never Neverland, like you mentioned what Maggie says, like, you know, Never Neverland um makes what is it like makes you It makes forget. you forget. Yeah. There's something about Never Neverland that feels like the river sticks. You know, like you're in there and you forget your mother. And yeah. I feel like there's, I liked that about the film, even though it's like this blockbuster Steven Spielberg film. I feel like it maintained the undercurrent of yearning and, you know, this a, a sadness, a, a wistfulness and yearning in Never Neverland that no one can quite put their finger on. And I thought it was interesting that like, you could see how uh, Peter's kids were standing in the limbo of that, you know, like, especially in that, like those final moments that kind of keep like, (laughs) like, he sort of almost leaves Neverland for a long time for like, you know, 30 minutes. Um, And he like almost kills Hook and then gets pulled away from killing Hook by his kids. And then almost kills him again and gets pulled away from killing him again by his kids. And then he's celebrating with the lost boys and he like continuing to play. And then his two kids are just watching him play again. You know, like there's something very, very poignant and beautiful about that of like, what is, what is the bridge? You know, what is the bridge from childhood to adulthood? And how do you, how do you keep the bridge? Like, how do you, is there a bridge how do you find it like Wendy's found it?
0: Yeah, and yeah, it's, it is interesting because, I mean, obviously, once again, you can you can even make the argument that uh, after Hook is, uh, to quote from the Wikipedia article, devoured by <laughs> the reanimated corpse of the taxidermied crocodile. Uh, Whoa, which, which that's is what a that was? Fantastic sentence, yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently, that's what it was. I mean, yeah, I, I never... 100% I didn't know what that was. understood what was supposed to be happening in that one. Cause I mean, obviously the, I- the idea being he got eaten because there is a, uh, cartoonish burp after, <laughs> uh, after <laughs> that all happened. But, uh, yeah, it's never actually explained how this crocodile actually comes back to life for a second. <laughs> uh, but you know, whatever it, it's the end of hook. Cause know, yeah, why not? Um, but, uh, yeah, like, one, once he's actually celebrating, again, like, is, the question is, is he back to Peter again? Like, has he forgotten again until he sees his kid? Like, um, I don't think that is the case necessarily because they don't have him have a, like, oh, right, yes, um, mm. like, moment. It It is more of a, like, um, you yeah, know, he was obviously celebrating, but he knew that he had to get his kids mm. home. Um, but, uh but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what, um, uh, like I, the, the film itself doesn't even really give you a solid, like, answer to anything like that. Um, I mean, at the end, uh, you know, when, uh, Tootles finally gets his marbles, his marbles. back. Um, mm, which, That really uh, did me in.
1: <laughs> that really got yes, me. Yes. Uh, I never He's like King Lear, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um.
0: And, and like, you know, it, again, it, it's one of those things where the film, up until the last literal minute of the film, like, you could take it that um, it could entirely have been in his head. Like, yeah, you know, there, <laughs> there would have been some real stretching to, okay, where did the kids go? Uh, but, um, uh, you know, like, like, ultimately, you could say, like, this was uh, Peter Banning's, like, midlife crisis uh type thing and right as he says he's it.
1: like i'm having a nervous breakdown i'm following the light here i go <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. Horse
0: horse. there's the house way down there uh,
1: there um, <laughs> uh but like
0: yeah uh, with with everything that was sprinkled in and the way they set it up like it genuinely they could have made it an ambiguous ending and then tootles flies off back to neverland it's like Nope. Nope. It no. <laughs> turns out that was all true. Uh, no, but. I
1: feel, I feel though at the end, like we're, it's like in the great sort of Joseph Campbell hero with a thousand faces sense, like they, they've, they've integrated, I guess, I guess I'm answering my own question in some ways. Like you, don't you get the sense that now that they've been through that journey, like, like all of that family is going to be like Granny Wendy? You know, don't you get the sense that like they'll yeah. always remember Neverland, and they might even return, or they might not need to return because because they remember it and they've chosen to grow up and be like an integrated whole where they're adults, but they still have like magic and whimsy. Yeah, I I absolutely yeah,
0: agree with that, and especially with um, Peter's final line being the the inverse of hook line uh because obviously hook says uh uh to die would be a great event like the last great adventure and then peter at the end of the film says to live would be an awfully big adventure mm. and that's like the way it ends and it's i think even just reading it and saying that now like i'm i'm remembering the end of the film and it's like i i think like this film even though it, it didn't like it didn't do a huge successful run at the box office and so on, and which is um, shocking yeah and the the interesting thing is i I, I tried looking up um, uh, the numbers for it, and the actual box office listed on Wikipedia is three hundred million, but I can't find any actual data on um, anything that is't domestic, so mm. it seems like it wasn't actually very well um, uh, like tallied back then, uh, but uh, I, yeah, I, I what think a garbage that, number!
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, I feel like it's languishing uh, in film, poverty. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, it only, <laughs> only made two hundred and thirty million over its budget. You want to hear the numbers <laughs>
1: from my podcast? i mean if you want to give them out go for it (laughs) yep (laughs) negative xyz (laughs) (laughs) yeah somehow somehow
0: people have spent an inverse amount of time listening to the podcast (laughs) Um, they've actually spent time telling you they're not going to listen to it no i just meant Um, like the the budget or like the the income yeah i mean uh yeah yeah I, i think if if anyone wants to take away anything from this entire podcast, it's, uh don't get into podcasting to to get rich quick because it's not going to happen. <laughs> no,
1: but it is very rewarding, and you can you know you can you know go back to Never Neverland and and yep. play and be whimsical and create and imagine. Yeah, no,
0: exactly. <laughs> and uh,
1: we're not all here you know. to be corporate lawyers like little Jack.
0: Yeah, no, like yes. little
1: child actor Jack.
0: Yes, uh, who didn't learn anything from he his learned time nothing. in this film. I know, he
1: learned <laughs> nothing. It's a beautiful film. It's, a, it's, I mean, it's like I'm liking it more as we talk about it because it's just, I mean, Peter Pan is is eternal. You know, it's, it's, it is such a beautiful story. And I like Tinkerbell. I think it's Tinkerbell's last line, you know, when she says, that place between sleep and wake, that's where I'll always love you. That's where I'll be waiting. And I feel like... Yeah, again, back to, like, where's where's the bridge? I feel that so much. It's like, mm, you're just right there on the periphery. You know, like, if we can just sort of access the periphery, the not linear of our lives and our memories, that there's, like, so much right there on the periphery.
0: Yeah. and it, Although, <laughs> again, if you actually think about it, like, from a purely just straightforward standpoint, a little creepy. <laughs> like, yeah, right. it, it, Peter has an absolutely no uncertain terms expressed to her that he is in love with his wife and the last thing she says to him is just like I will always be waiting for you <laughs> it's true
1: um, uh, that's why I so so very much wish that that one scene where she becomes big it was not in there because then it would just be like a very lovely um Like a beautiful platonic love or more than platonic, you know, like loyal, deep, friend, comrade, protector, love. And yeah, yeah, they really ruined it with that moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, uh, I, I didn't obviously previously, uh, when i watched it i wasn't really picking up on those kinds of things like I, I obviously was more just swept up and everything but like actually sitting down and trying to disseminate some of this stuff it's like yeah no that's um uh not great uh, <laughs> problematic but, uh, yeah um well, <laughs> i think i think the best way to finish this up would actually be rather than uh like Saying whether or not you'd recommend the film because I absolutely would, and I'm sure you do, yeah like of just, course uh, yeah. what sort
1: of monster would I be if I? <laughs> uh, uh
0: but um what what is your favorite thing from this film, like mm. either because it was a nostalgia thing for you or just on this rewatch like just one thing that stood out to you is like uh, like uh, either a, a joke or a line or something like that you that just stuck with you, mm. I mean, I can give you mine. Yeah, start. You...
1: you start then.
0: Okay, um, it is actually something that has stuck with me since the first ever time I watched it, mm. and it's because, and I don't know if it's because it's just, it's it's almost one of those things that you would expect to see in uh, like a Monty Python mm. bit. Um, like it feels very Life of Brian actually. Mm. Um, it's when. Peter is flying to get Maggie and mm. he goes in through the window and he clashes swords with a pirate who says, wait, ain't you? And he says, Peter Pan. And the pirate just jumps out the window. <laughs> it's, an <absolutely, laughs> it's an absolutely ridiculous bit. Uh, but for some reason, it has stuck with me over all these years of just like, that's kind of what this film was. Like, oh, it, that's interesting. It wasn't taking itself too seriously and like and any pirate that by himself is taking on Peter Pan probably would jump out the window because like yeah they're not gonna get Peter um so like I I I found it a very just a very fun moment and uh I still laughed at it the same way I did the first time I saw it so Uh.
1: (laughs) well that's great that's very joyful and that and there you go like that is the nostalgic bridge from the the present to the past for you, you know, probably laughed in the same way that you laughed when you were a kid. (laughs) Well, hearing yours, I did remember mine. And it's, if you'll forgive me, like it's much more sentimental than yours. Sure. Um, (laughs) It's the moment when I don't know what this lost boy's name is, but that like beautiful, one of the littles of the lost boys, like has a sort of extended scene where Peter has like just kind of come back to Never Never Land and they're all told it's Peter Pan and they, and they don't believe it and they've been questioning him. And then the one boy sort of comes forward and Robin Williams is kneeling and this boy just clutches his face and just starts playing with his face as though it's clay and just keeps going. And the scene goes much longer than you think it can, which I really respect yeah, And then finally, like he puts Robin Williams face into a big smile. And then he just says, Oh, there you are, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and then all the boys like slowly come forward and they all start playing with his face and they keep putting back in a smile. And then they're all like, Oh, Peter. Oh, hello, <laughs> Peter. Oh, come on. <laughs> that moment yeah. is so gorgeous.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, Really well done. Um, and uh, uh, as you were as you were talking about it, I was trying to look up some of the names of
1: the Lost Boys.
0: I don't know for sure, but one of the Lost Boys' names in this film is too small.
1: It might be too small.
0: I'm gonna have to guess that probably.
1: <laughs> oh, although although too small is probably the one at the end that he's like, "Who am I gonna be in charge of?" And then and then Peter says, "The bugs, the littlest bugs." Yeah. Yeah. So mm. it might not be him, but, but it's one of the smalls. Yeah. That's a lovely, <laughs> lovely moment. I think the lost boys are, you know, I, they, they really get me.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, they, uh, they, again, like they did a very good job of <laughs> like casting the lost boys. Cause I mean, you know, <laughs> they weren't just going to have the lost boys from Peter Pan. Like that, that wasn't just going to happen. And then of course, of course they have a new leader. In Rufio. Sure. Yeah,
1: um Oh, um, and Rufio's death is very fast and very terrible. And I thought that Lost Boys—I thought you couldn't die in Never Neverland. So, what's up there?
0: Um, I don't, I don't know if that is officially a thing. Actually, thinking about it, because he said, um, "You don't Peter grow says, old."
1: You don't grow but, old because Peter says, like, a, um, when we see his reasoning when, like, the carriage, the carriage rolls away from his parents he sees like i want i ran away because i didn't wanna grow old because people grow old and die
0: right um, well that's the thing. so he so he didn't want to grow old because that leads to death but that yeah obviously ultimately that you could fall from a great height and still die and you're not dying from old age so <laughs> I, yeah i think um it it was interesting cuz i think that is the only Death. death in the entire canon yeah, of I know. peter pan yeah. Uh,
1: yeah yeah
0: although one one thing i will say for for people who are actually fans of sort of slightly like morbid sort of retellings or, or different takes on mm. these things um there is a uh there is an author called christina henry mm. who has written uh kind of morbid twisted retellings of a bunch of um like those those old stories uh so there's um uh there's three books in uh alice alice in one land Mm. uh tale um there is one of uh red riding hood and then they did one that's called lost boy Mm. and it is about the original lost boy that peter first uh got and um and about how he slowly becomes disillusioned with Peter. Mm, and that sounds good. I mean it, it it's very good and very interesting because the Peter in that book doesn't literally does not care if the lost boys live or die because he mm. can always just go and get more. He just wants people to play with.
1: Mm, jeez, dark. It,
0: and yeah, I mean it mm, like it's a it, narcissist. it it gets very dark. Um and um and I'll be perfectly frank, anyone that really is paying attention, will figure out who this lost boy is. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's just you're gonna know who it is, uh, but mm. uh, it's really, it's a really interesting, um, story and, and a very cool way that it's told. Um, is it Captain um, Hook? Yeah. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny that one.
1: Mm. <laughs> Well, However, can, I, can I lighten us off from the macabre there and just say absolutely. that one? I'm looking at my notebook of one thing I wrote down <laughs> and I really loved the part when like like basically the, the Peter Pan training sequence. I love I love a training sequence. And so yeah. when the Lost Boys are trying to help him fly again and they come with their their homemade signs with different happy thoughts to encourage him and they they're each holding up a sign and they say horsies. Bugs, birthday, and gum. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, uh, yeah, I,
1: I very much enjoyed it. like.
0: And yeah, again, like if it wasn't, uh, I will say if it wasn't the pirate jumping out the window, that was the thing that kind of really stuck with me ever since the initial watch. Actually, that scene when Peter says, uh, "I got it." Not being in a slingshot would make me very happy.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: like the way that you could still hear him saying happy as he yeah. goes up and then comes down. Um, yeah, just Aww, a, again, like, yeah, absolutely. They knew what they had, they knew what they were doing. And, yeah, um, no one can a, do
1: it like Robin Williams. No, no they really can't. Hope punk. How <laughs> Do you know that word, hope punk?
0: Don't think I do. What is that
1: one? I was just looking up because I was like, I wonder if I can describe my show as hope punk. I think this is a new thing the kids say. It's <laughs> it's like the it's like the opposite of how you were just describing that like alternate scary subversive Peter Pan book. Like it's it's about like a genre that is like edgy but full of hope. It's the opposite of like the like dystopian and grim. It's like we're okay. gonna insist that in this world there is hope, there is hope, there is hope.
0: So hope punk. So the opposite of um like grimdark, I think it's the Yeah. The,
1: Do you know uh, that phrase? I didn't know that phrase. I,
0: I, I have heard Grimdark before, um uh took took me a while to to pull that up because um yeah, very, very much like you said, like the the books that I was describing, I would I would class them as Grimdark. Absolutely. Right. Um uh, but yeah, no hope, hope punk. Hope punk.
1: Yeah, I, would, I mean, I would, and, yeah, Robin Williams was sort of the the <laughs> head of Hope Punk. I would say for us in our childhoods.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I uh, mean, <laughs> Um Oddly, there was one other film again with Robin Williams in it that I considered asking you to come in on, and maybe mm. we can do it again in the future. Um, Patch Adams. Have, not
1: Patch <laughs> Adams. <laughs> Good. I've never seen it. But,
0: but a similar film that kind of a lot of people haven't seen um, or haven't
1: decided to watch. Um, have you seen the film Toys? You know, I think I saw that in the theaters and I don't <laughs> remember it.
0: I, I remember it very well. And I don't really know anyone else that has watched it. And it is, I, I mean, it's an avant-garde yeah, uh, comedy um, with Robin Williams, Joan Cusack. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I can't remember the other lead people. But like, it's, it is I'll watch it out there. <laughs> it's absolutely out there. So um... I
1: remember like the trailer of it, I can picture the poster right now, even and there's almost there's something like, it, he's almost in like a suspenders or something. Is that right? Like, uh, kind of. I mean, like, he's always he, uh, in suspenders, I guess. Robin Williams is always in suspenders, <laughs>
0: yeah. No, they, he's a they suspender just, uh, actor, yeah. They they <laughs> took uh, they took his promotional still from Morgan Mindy and just shoved it on the face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like he, yeah, he, from my recollection, he's basically in this odd, almost Willy Wonka esque, right? Uh, sort of setup. Um, and like, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's I, I'm not actually going to go into it because I okay. kind of want you to watch it so that we Great. can talk I about will. it. Great. I will. I'd it, love it to. Yeah. All right. And so at some point in the future, we will we'll have you back on to talk about that. Season uh, three. No. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yes, thank so. you,
1: Paul. Thank you for having me on. This is so fun.
0: Yeah. No, uh, Anytime. Um, and uh, and before, uh, before we let you go, uh, why don't you tell people where they can find
1: both you and It Makes a Sound. Sure. You can find me on various social medias and also on my website, JacquelineLandgraf.com, and that will lead you to ItMakesASound.com, and you can follow us on Twitter, iMassPodcast, and listen to the podcast wherever you've listened to a podcast.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, all good podcatchers. Uh, you'll find it there. <laughs> um, and yes uh, um to piggyback off of that as well if you want to uh, get a hold of us about this episode or anything else um uh, just search blokebusters you will find us on facebook twitter instagram or you can go to com and look at the lovely snazzy website that i have there uh, but uh uh but yes no uh Again, thank you so much for coming back on. It's been a blast talking with you about this and about how It Makes a Sound. Very much looking forward to that. And I guess by the time this comes out, uh, very much loved the first few episodes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, <yes. laughs> uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. Yes, no, they were fantastic. Uh, but, uh, 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 but yeah. Oh no, um, well, thanks yeah. again
1: for all your support, and it's uh, it's so nice talking nostalgia with you. It was such a pleasure to be able to to rewatch this film uh, through this lens.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, it's it's been a blast. Uh, with all of that being said, uh, yes, uh, I've been Paul, and you've been Jacqueline, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. In case I don't
1: see you, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Hang on a minute, lads, I've got a great idea. Uh. <laughs> Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You're still here?
0: It's over. Go home. Go.